0: So where we're going is Mark 9. Uh, Mark 9 will be up here on the screen in just a second. Mark 9 is what I want to read to you after we just invite God in to just explain his word to us. Lord Jesus, while that's getting pulled up, we just, we just always go into your holy place in prayer and out of your holy p- place in prayer. We just want to give you the fullest and greatest reverence because your word, you, your, it's so powerful. You create with your word. You you created the universe with your word. You created us with your word. But you also create new strength in us with your word. You create new emotion in us with your word. You create new relationships in us with your word. You speak things into existence. You've always done it. You're, You're still doing it. You're you're speaking center point into existence right now into what we're supposed to be. You're speaking us into existence. You're you're speaking a church family that loves each other and is willing to fight for each other and is willing to wrestle through anything together. You're you're building that and speaking it into existence. So we're just trusting you with it. We're trusting you with it, God. We understand Satan's going to have fiery darts. We understand that he's trying to set things aflame. We get that. But we have a God that's so much bigger, so much more powerful. So as we get into your word, God, open it up to us and open us up to your word. Up to you, Jesus. Praise you. Amen. Amen. Mark 9 looks like this. So it's Jesus speaking, and uh, he said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't even know what to say. They were so frightened. (laughs) And then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Now, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead, which, by the way, was news to them, and they didn't even dare to ask him about it. What does that mean? Don't tell anybody until you're dead. You're not going to die, are you? Like this was news to them. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And then they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure. Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything that they wished, just as it's written about him. So when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit that's robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. It's one of the few times you see Jesus kind of, uh, you know, he's just, he just kind of, it happens to all of us. You know, you're just having a bad day, bad week, a little frustrated, and you don't say things the way you mean. You unbelieving generation, but Jesus always said everything the way he meant it. Always. So he's getting their attention. So they brought him. And when the Spirit saw Jesus. It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion, the nerve. He's in front of Jesus. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like that? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a mess. How long has it been like this? says, <laughs> uh, no, you don't see Jesus do that very often. Usually he's like, you know, I command you come out and start. But this time the boy's flopping all over the place. Like, how long has he been like that? And, then, and, and the guy says, From childhood, he answered. It's often thrown him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This is one of my favorite prayers in the Word of God. It's one of my favorite prayers. I love this. I do believe, kind of, but could you just help me with my unbelief because that seems to be 90% of how much I believe. You know, I really, I I believe. I'm, I'm here. I believe. Please, God, talk to me. But I don't believe enough. I know I don't. So please help me with that portion of who I am. That's what he came on the cross to do. That's what he came for. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never return again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and then came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that he said, that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Fact is, he might have been dead, but he's talking to the resurrection and the life. So he's like, yeah, yeah, he's dead. It's okay. Okay, wake up. (laughs) It's okay. Now, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, hey, why couldn't we drive it out? Because they have been walking around doing this. Jesus sent, out, sent them out, and then he sent out 72, and he gave them some of his authority to speak to demons and cast them out and heal sicknesses. And they were walking around doing it, and they're like, wait, we were trying, and it didn't work. What, how did that, what, what went wrong? Like, obviously, you know, we were reading the manual. Did we miss a step? Like, you know, if I try to start my tractor, it's not working. I'm finally like, oh, yeah, I got to sit on the seat. <laughs> you are know, like doing everything to find, like, oh, yeah, right, right. If you're not sitting on the seat, it doesn't, you know, there's some stupid thing you don't realize. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And, and really, the phrasing is prayer and fasting. This kind doesn't come out the way other kinds did. It's deeper. You, didn't you say he was like that from birth, like from his youth? Yeah, this, this kind takes more effort. This doesn't take more effort for me. I'm God. But for you, you're going to have to put something into this. You want to see it move? Prayer and fasting. So back to the beginning. You're like, wow, you just read a lot. So Jesus picks Peter, James, and John. They're the inner circle. They get to go to these cool functions. Transfiguration is one of them. You know, he, he, he raises a girl from the dead another one, the, you know, the, uh, the, the synagogue leader's daughter, and they, those three get to go. So they're, they're like, they get to go. I mean, I could just see him look at the other one's like, you guys wait outside, keep an eye on stuff. We're going in with Jesus. He's doing something cool, you know? And so they go up the mountain. They go up the mountain with him. And this, and I, you know, I don't know what the people at the bottom of the mountain saw. I don't know if they saw a flash, you know? But the, the guys with him, Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus light up like a light bulb. And it says they, they don't have the kind of language or the kind of understanding that we have now, so they said, well, then uh, whiter than anyone could bleach him. And that's so lame compared to what we could say now when you've watched, you know, Marvel movies and Thor lands and there's electricity all over his body and it lights up the whole ground and everything shakes. So I think it was more like that, but the best that they come up with was, well, I mean, I, I've never seen anything bleached whiter than that. You know, uh, it doesn't sound as exciting, but I mean, he's a light bulb. They wake up, in a light bulb, and then they see him, and they see Elijah, and then they see Moses, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. How do they know who Moses and Elijah are? There's no photographs of Moses and Elijah. There's no pictures. There's no bust like a Roman bust of Moses and Elijah. What made them recognize that this was Moses and Elijah? They just see Jesus talking, and they go, oh, guys, that's Moses and Elijah. All three of them know it instantly. They all know. How? Because the Holy Spirit, when you're in Jesus' presence, he puts things in your head that you didn't have there. He, He puts things in your mind that don't exist outside of you being with Jesus. You wouldn't have known, but now you do know because Jesus put it there. They wouldn't know who he's talking to. They would just think it's two angels, two more glowy people, two more, you know, this is like what's happening. But they instantly recognize that's Moses Elijah. And you find out because Peter's like, oh, oh it's Moses Elijah, it's Jesus. Uh-uh. And he's all wound up. I mean, everything, this is, a, this is quite a scene. Yo, know, they're lighting up the whole place, and and, and there's these three big players, and, and Jesus being in the middle of them. Um, um, uh, let's build three shelters. Let's build a shelter for each one of you, right side by side. Boom, boom, boom. Three shelters. Elijah, Moses, Jesus, of course, and and and, and we'll just build those up right now. I like to get some rocks, some sticks. Like he's wound all up, and 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 a, and a cloud comes over him. I've been uh, you ever, you ever, anyone climb Mount Katahdin, and get up to the top of Mount Katahdin? It used to be a mile high. Okay, a few, a couple of people, yeah. Uh, there would be a few more raising their hand, but they fell off. Um, so we got to the top. It's like, you know, it's a mile high, and that's big. That's 5,280 feet, you know, and, but it's like really like 5,267 feet, so they piled some rocks up at the top to make it a mile because of erosion, and so they, they want it to stay a mile. So I got to the top, and I'm leaning against the rocks that are at the top. I'm looking out just spectacular. Oh, my gosh, what a view. And a cloud comes over, just covers everything. We can't see for a second. And it wasn't cloudy, it was sunny. But a cloud just comes because you're up in the clouds now. You're high enough to be in them. And the cloud comes through and you can't see anything. You can't see other people. And then it just goes by and then, then you can see again. And so that's not that weird to be on a mountain and have this happen. What's weird is to have a voice speak from heaven when the cloud comes. Oh, yeah. That's what's weird. So they've been on mountains, they get it. Oh, a cloud. Oh, that's kind of cool. Rats, I can't see Jesus. I can see that glow over there. Just keep looking. When the cloud's gone, we'll see all three of them again. But when the cloud comes, it's, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. And they're like, it's my son who I love. Listen to him. He will change everything with his word. Listen to him. And the cloud goes away and they can see again. And Moses and Elijah are gone. Like, oh. Like, it wiped two of them away. And it's just Jesus, and he's not glowing. And they're just sitting there stunned, trying to figure out what just happened. We saw Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Everything in the Word has such purpose. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He wrote the law. The law comes from Moses. So, what you see on one side of Jesus is the law. And Elijah is like the most prominent prophet. You could give a good case for Isaiah, but Elijah's pretty prominent. Sucked off the planet in a chariot, never really dies. And so, so Elijah represents the prophets. And you keep hearing over and over the word of God say, the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Jesus himself says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. If you do that, you'll do everything that's summed up in the law and the prophets. That's what he tells us. And you keep finding it everywhere. The law and the prophets, the law and the prophets. Uh, go, back to my next, so go back to my next slide. Uh, so if you back up. All right. Uh, almost. We're getting there. Keep coming. All right, we're kind of far. The crowd answer. So I'm going to read it to you. you ready? So we're going to back up. So here's what you're looking for. We're in Mark eight, and if you go back to Mark eight, I, or maybe those maybe those are labeled so you can see Mark eight. But Mark eight, you see this. Jesus and his disciples, Mark 8, 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, well, some say you're John the Baptist, which is stupid because that was his cousin growing up. Others say Elijah. Still others say one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you're the Messiah, And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about it. In another section, it says, he says to Peter, hmm, on that rock, on that rock, I'm going to build my church. Not on Peter, I'm going to build my church, church. On the revelation that I am the son of God, that's what I'll build my church on on the revelation that I'm the Son of God. I'm not building it on Peter. Yes, Cephas Rock, we get that. We get what his name means. That was something that was done on purpose, but it didn't mean that's what the rock's built on. That's not what the church is built on. The cornerstone that the church is built on is that Jesus is the Son of God and he has purged us from our sins on the cross and that we can live forever for him, with him, by just accepting that free gift of salvation that he bought at his blood for our sakes. That's the gift. And the whole church is built off of that. So that we understand before, the chapter before, Jesus is already prepping him. Who do you say I am? Oh, some think you're Elijah. Some think you're some prominent figure like Moses or one of the prophets. Okay, okay. Well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Son of God. He says, remember that. And then right, you know, six days later, they get up on the mountain and he sees him glow. And they bring in the law and the prophets. Moses and Elijah on top of the mountain. God says, boom, put him next to him. And now you've got the law, and you've got the prophet, and you've got Jesus. And then the cloud goes through, and it's only Jesus. Because Jesus, he is the fruition of the law and the prophets. He says, I, I, I came. Not one word goes away from the law. Not one word. But I complete the law. Not one word disappears. I'm not going to collapse it all and burn it all down. Everything's been pointing to me from the beginning of time. Revelation 13, Jesus, the Lamb, he was slain from the foundation of the world. The plan was always to do this. The plan wasn't reactionary to sin. Oh, wow, the people are so messed up. Jesus, you're going to have to go die. It was, it was we're going to do this. We're going to save these people. They need it. They're broken and they need a Savior. So we're going to give them the Savior. God himself in the flesh, Jesus, the son of God, but God comes and dies in our stead and takes the wrath of God that you and I were supposed to take. All of the law was pointing to that. Every sacrifice made was pointing to that. Every holy place, uh, the temple itself built, everything built in the holy place and in the most holy place was designed to show where we were going The the prophets, all talking about this Savior. Isaiah, 800 years before he's born, telling you the location. It'll be Bethlehem. Telling you where it's going to happen. 800 years ahead of time. Over and over, the prophets are pushing forth to tell you this Jesus is coming. Everything was pointed. So a cloud, God, the Shekinah glory blows through, and there's just one thing left, and it's Jesus. And the cloud says, listen to him don't build a shelter around the law anymore. That's not I don't want you, Peter, to build a shelter there and just hang out in the law. Because the law doesn't have enough mercy. The law doesn't have enough grace. The law is harsh. I don't want you to live there anymore. And I don't want you to just live in the land of the prophets where you got to wait for someone to tell you what my word says. I'm going to tell you what my word says. It's going to be in your heart. It's going to be in your mind. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. You're going to keep being spoken to as you read the word. Read my word. The Word saves us. The Word develops things inside of us. The Word connects us with God. The Word is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says we touched him. We felt him. He was right here. The Scripture tells us that we're the hands and feet of Christ. We're the body of Christ. He lives in us with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is what's left. We don't live in the law. It was pointing to Jesus, but we don't have to be there anymore. We don't live waiting on a prophet to tell us what to do because we are all in that position. The Holy Spirit is your prophet. Let him speak to you. Let him speak to you. Are there still prophets today? Of course there are. Are there still evangelists? Yes, of course there are. But all of us can hear the voice of God. The only thing that's left at the end of this is Jesus Christ. And that's what God is saying. Look. See, my son? That's where your focus is. Don't build three shelters here. We're moving. We're moving. The church of God, of Jesus Christ, the church that's going to represent my son is not going to stay on top of this mountain. Don't build a shelter here. But follow him. Listen to him. Go where he goes. Say what he wants you to say. Do what he wants you to do. Find rest in him. Just listen. If, if you're not like convinced, I'm not sure what this guy's talking about. If he's right. Listen to Hebrews. I th- oh, yeah. Boom. We're caught up now. Hebrews. In the past, God, there were, there were a ton of slides. So I do this to people. I feel bad. <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, like the law of Moses. You hearing it? In the past, he spoke to us through the prophets and in the law of Moses. Did you hear? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Oh. Word was too far away. Couldn't read it. (laughs) I'm just playing with you. By his son, by Jesus, the one that's left, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He's the one. He's the one, not the prophets, not the law. Jesus, he is the fruition of it all. The exact representation of the Father because he is God. Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One in purpose. If that's so confusing to you, it shouldn't be. I am one with my wife. Becky, who I haven't even seen today until now. You look beautiful, honey. <laughs> I, I love you. I'm one with my wife. You know, I'm up here and she's over there like, well, how can you be one? That's stupid because you're in two different places. Right. We're one. We're one church. We're one church family. Becky and I are one. Amen! Chris Kraus, Give that lady a microphone. She said it's not just this church. We're one body of Christ. Amen. And if we're going to say amen, then let's act like it. Let's love each other. Let's, let's purposefully put up with each other. I know what a mess some of you are. And you're going to find out what a mess I am. You Caleb found out. <laughs> listen, we, we don't always talk the way we want to talk. We don't always love the way we want to love. Right. Sorry about that one. I, I, you caught me in a bad moment. <laughs> we, listen, we, 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 but what we do is we forgive, we love, we work together, we treat each other like family. Amen. If we don't and we're all just scattered and separate, then we're not one. We're called to be one. We're going to change Discover Centerpoint. You're like, that doesn't even happen anymore? It's about to. Discover Centerpoint is going to about Discover Centerpoint. Who is your family? Who is your church family? We're all going. July 10th. I think that's the right date. (laughs) I'm just going to throw that out there. July 10th. We're having Discover Centerpoint after church. You are all invited. So are you if you're online. I'm assuming that's the online camera. They, they saw me pointing. So are you if you're online. I don't, I don't know where I'm, I don't know. But it doesn't even matter. July 10th, it's discover who your family is. There are people you're sitting, they look across and you, you see a lot of people you don't know. And we're trying to fix that. We want to fix that. I want to know people. I hope you do. This is your family. And if you're coming here, you're here, then it's your family. Someone just came in, they're just a guest today, they're just right here. Well, welcome to the family with all of its issues and its dysfunction and its grace and its forgiveness and the same Savior. If we can get past acting like the world acts and just breaking off relationships and and fighting with each other and complaining, if we can get past it, we're going to find something awesome in this God. All right. Sometimes people clap because they think it's the end. It's not. It's not. So, so, you know, I'm completely unswayed. I'm going to keep going. So this... Uh, but I'm not man of my time either, so we're legal. Uh, so listen, if we go back just just to catch a couple more. On the Emmaus Road, I didn't get some of these scramming slides. <laughs> these aren't there. These aren't there. So you can relax. <laughs> okay, he's not gonna do anything. Uh, on the Emmaus Road, Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. Just listen to these. He said to them, This is Jesus walking with them, and they don't know it's Jesus. He walks up. He's dead, supposedly, but now but he's not. He's come back to life. He's walking with him. They don't recognize him. So he's walking behind. And you know what this proves, by the way? This proves that when two or more are gathered, that Jesus does show up. This proves it because they're not even looking for Jesus, but they're talking about Jesus. The two of them are just walking along. You know, Jesus died. It's so sad. Everything's wrong. And poof, there's Jesus walking along. He don't even recognize him, but he starts talking. Where two or more are gathered, there he is. So we're on the Emmaus Road. The two of them are talking, and he comes up to him. He says, how foolish you are. Now, normally that's not a good intro line for someone you don't know. You're having a conversation. You're just talking. Someone walks in. You guys are foolish. Oh, what the? You know, that makes you want to. But, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this would get a throat punch from Max. Absolutely. Absolutely get a throat punch from Max. So uh, I would never walk up behind him and tell him foolish. You're, you're foolish. Okay. So he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. I still call him slow too. He's <laughs> ouch, but did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with listen and beginning with Moses and all the prophets He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning him. It was always, always, always pointing us to Jesus Christ. Always. The law was, the prophets were. Everything was. Whether they knew it or not, they were always pointing to Christ. Moses did know it. It tells us in the Hall of Faith, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it tells us that for the sake of Christ... Moses left Egypt and all its riches. It doesn't tell you for the sake of God. Christ is God, yes. But the word used was Christ. See, Moses, like David, was one of those Old Testament, New Testament kind of guys. An Old Testament guy that had walked with God so closely, he was understanding that Jesus was the way that he communicated to God. You can't sit in a tent with God because being in his presence would blow you up. So there must be a filter. And it's Jesus. Jesus. You can't sit so close to God like David did without understanding, ooh, this Joshua too. Joshua had encounters with Jesus. Understand it. It was always point to him. Jesus didn't arrive at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's, he was, he's always been. He just arrived on the planet in flesh. Okay. Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these, this. Do not think, Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've come to abolish them. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. No. Then again, Romans 3:21 and 22. But now apart from the law, apart from the law, a righteousness has, of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do you hear it? That's why Jesus blew away Moses and Elijah, but put them there. There they are, the law and the prophets. Jesus. It was always pointing to him. It'll always be pointing to him. That's what you focus on. Now part two. And it's not as long as part one, so relax. Part two is a little bit bit faster, but it's kind of not. All right, so they come off the mountain. Instantly, everyone's arguing, confusion, and it's really easy to give these disciples at the bottom, the nine that don't get to go up. Is it's easy to give them a bad rap? They've been sitting here trying to cast out the demon. It's not working. You know, the kid's still on the ground, and it's like we can't. We we've done this over and over. Why? And the people are watching. They're watching. I know. I know, Judas. Shut up. I'm trying. This worked yesterday. You know, I mean, you know, they're all just talking, and they're worried. That, you know, that panic you get when, when, when we freak out. Because we think Jesus isn't going to show up. We're doing something for Jesus, and you're in a situation you can't solve, and you know that the world is coming to watch, and you're like, oh, this is all going to fall apart. It's all going to fall apart. God's like, I'm here. It's not going to fall apart. If it was up to you, of course it would. If it was up to you, it would definitely fall apart. But it's not. I'm in you. I live here with you. And so here they are, and it's not working, and and a crowd is coming, and Jesus is like, Hey, what's going on? He knows what's going on. It's Jesus. He knows what's going on. He's always telling people what's in their heads and shocking them. It's very disarming. Here's what you're thinking. And he's right. You know, so, so he knows, but he wants them to say it. Well, we've been trying to cast out the demon. No, no, wait, wait. Let me talk to Dad. What's wrong? Well, I brought him to your disciples, and they can't cast out the demon. Well, how long has he been this way? A mm, long time. Okay, okay. You can say whatever you want about the nine disciples. But they stayed there until Jesus showed up. They didn't give up. They, they're like, okay, try this. Stand over here. I don't know, two of us together. I don't know, lift him up, throw him up and pray. Wait till he comes down, catch him. I don't know. You know, give him mouth to mouth. Well, he's already all over the place. Well, okay, well, not that, not that. Um, thinking, like trying everything. It's just like a constant set of a barrage of a techniques, but nothing's working, but they don't leave. They don't leave. I'm so sick of people leaving. Listen. There's a song that was out like in early 2000, long line of leavers. It was about the body of Christ and how easily we're offended and we just walk away. We got to treat this like family. And, and some of you are like, well, someone left in my family. We can't be that. We can't when you're called, you're called. God calls people from one portion of the family to another portion all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people getting twisted and getting angry. and Satan's going to work it. He's going to work it. Understand it. Know it. Be, Be in the know. Satan wants to divide you. He wants to divide your families. He wants to divide this church. Know it. And lots of times when there's that chaos going on with you and someone else at church, it's not either of you. We always want to hang a human face on hate. We always do. And it's not. It's Satan. The Scripture tells us you're not fighting flesh and blood. You're fighting against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. You're in the heavenly realms if you're a believer, so you are fighting things in the heavenly realms. Know that. So it's got to up the ante on how much you're willing to fight for this. These nine don't leave. And they keep trying until Jesus shows up. Under the pressure, people watching, people muttering. Oh, these guys, I knew they, I knew they didn't really have any power. This is the first time I ever showed up, and I heard all these stories about what the apostles are doing, and look, kids still on the ground. You're going to hear that stuff. You're going to hear it. You're going to come someday, and I'm going to completely blow it up here. And so, I heard that guy could speak. Well, he's kind of a loser. And they just walk out, you know. And and everybody feels that way. Sometimes you just feel like you did a horrible job. You stay there until he shows up, and then you trust him to repair and fix anything that went wrong. You have to. If you sit there in your failures and keep circling around your failures, you will fail. So they come up to the mount. I mean, they come up to Jericho in the Old Testament. Joshua's got the whole army, got like two million guys. And, and, and there's not that many in his army, but there's that many people. And so the army is going to go out, and they're all going to get their armor and everything, and they're just going to walk around this giant wall that they had chariot races on top of. No one can touch this city. It's been there a thousand years. It's completely protected by this wall. It's even a hill going up to the wall. There's even another wall at the bottom. The thing is protected. Nobody can attack it. And they're like that, and God said, see this impenetrable force? That's the first thing you're going to attack in the promised land. So here's your plan. Here's your plan. Here's your plan. First, circumcise everybody. What? (laughs) No, yeah. First, circumcise everybody. So make us all unable to walk or fight and then stand real close to our enemy. That's the plan. Yes. And then, once everybody heals, now walk around it. Walk around it. Yes, quietly just walk around. We can blow some trumpets and stuff. They they walk around. They go home. Day goes by. It takes a long time to get that many people around a wall. And it's a big one. Not even a crack. Not even a fissure. Not even a chip. Day two. Day three. Day four. Day five. Day six. On day seven, march seven times. Don't you think that nearing the end of the seventh walk around the big wall that they're thinking... This is not going to work. We've been doing this all week. We've been doing this all week, and I don't even see the smallest flake coming off of that wall. Like I thought just maybe one of the people would just fall off dead. And I'd know, okay, well, something's happening. Or maybe trip off, get pushed off. Maybe they turn on each other. I don't know, something. Maybe the gates would open up. We wouldn't have to break the wall. The wall's not moving. If you go seven days, then seven times on the seventh day, and nothing's happening, don't you give up? We do all the time. We say, this relationship can't work. I've walked around this problem every single way I can think of. It's just not going to work. And you keep trying, you keep trying. You don't see it working. You just say, I give up. I give up. Or you say, this relationship problem at my job, it won't fix. It's never going to fix. It's going to be the same. You project your current onto your future, and you think that's the rest of my life now, and you keep walking around and walking around. You're giving God no credit. He said in the beginning, nothing's going to happen until the seventh time around on the seventh day, and then you shout. That's when it'll come down. So God is so amazing. He makes you walk all around it, all week long with nothing happening and nothing coming down and nothing changing, and then do it a whole bunch of times on the last day, and then shout and draw attention to yourself. See this thing we're doing that's not working? Woo! Our God is great. I know that wall's still there, but it's gonna, something's going to happen. you know. And then you yell and scream and draw attention to yourself, and then... Because all God has to do is show up. He's testing to see if you'll keep walking. He's testing to see if you'll go six, seven, eight times. He's going to give some directions. Follow him. Trust him. The wall is coming down. You've got to know that. You've got to know that God can blow the wall down. We have to trust him. He's already blown walls down or you wouldn't be here today. He's already done things in your life or you wouldn't be sitting here today. Unless you just get one of those awesome friends who put one of those little kid bracelets on you with a chain and dragged you here. But for the vast majority of you, you're here because God did something. You might say, he hasn't done something in a while. Well, try a different way. Until Jesus shows up. Keep marching until Jesus shows up. Because all it took Jesus was one word, come out. And all it took God was one word, come down problem solved what does that mean that means if he hasn't done it yet it's not because you're an idiot or a failure or a loser or because you don't know what you're doing i mean all those things could be true i have no idea um but but it doesn't matter that's the beauty it it doesn't matter because god's never wrong he never misses and he's never powerless to defeat your enemy. Ever. See, the second part's worth it. Yes. So, so, look, it's, it finishes with Amen. this just magnificent, magnificent yes. prayer. You know, I do believe. help me overcome my unbelief. You have got to pray that when you're on day seven, seventh time around. As as you keep funneling closer to the problem where something's got to give, you've got to be praying, God, I I get it. I can't solve this, but for the love of God, you can, please. And you might not do it in your timing, and it might take longer than you think, but give him the opportunity and keep trying until he shows up. And then you pray, help me with my unbelief, because he understands what a struggle it is. Been tempted in every way that you have, and yet did not sin. So this is why I mentioned at the breakfast yesterday. He can say, in Hebrews 4, 15, 16, he can say, you can approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy. Do you hear that phrasing? you can approach the throne of grace with boldness to receive mercy. When we need mercy, it's because we screwed up. That's not usually when you're bold. That's when you kind of cower. And your tail's between your legs. I gave the example when my dog bit one of my kids. He Didn't come wagging his tail up to me. He knew he was in trouble. Right. That dog was going to pay for that one. You just drew blood and that's not going to happen. And I love this dog. Not in that moment. And he didn't rush up to me like, hey, is it it dinner time? He was scouring away. The the, the tail way down, ears down, knew he had done the exact wrong thing. It was a puppy at the time. Never did it again. But this is the thing. It's not not my current dog, so if you come over to my house, don't think that dog eats people. (laughs) I got a dog that loves people he will eat your dog though. Don't bring your dog to my house or a cat or any animal at all, but loves people sit in your lap. Never, ever bite you. I mean, not yet. So, so this particular dog knew you can't, you you don't, I never do. If I screw up at work, if I'm at work and I screw up, I taught for 25 years. If I did something in my classroom that that wasn't looked well upon, I did that a lot because I was oh, sharing the gospel instead <laughs> of doing something like that. It didn't, you know. I, I kept that job all those years. But anyway, like, but sometimes do something wrong, and, and you know, okay, sometimes I did something wrong. Like I knew it was wrong. It's like, no, oh, that wasn't even like a good thing for God. That was just completely wrong. That was my bad. I should. Uh, one time I was I was on the playground, and there was an IEP once a year meeting, and I was supposed to be in it, but I'm out playing with the kids in the playground. And the parent walks by, looking at me like, what's, what's It's... Aren't you, you? know, And it goes inside, and the, and the principal was not happy about it, and I blew it. I missed the whole thing. They had to reschedule with them. They had a real tight schedule. It wasn't easy for them to make it. It was my bad. I knew it was coming. I forgot. I didn't walk boldly into her office. Hey, what's happening? I just need some mercy. You're fired. You know what I mean? We don't walk boldly when we need mercy. And yet God says, if you need mercy, boldly stride into my throne room and get it. If you need mercy, don't ever run from God. Run to Him. Don't ever run from Him. Run to Him. If you're thinking, well, I've been running from Him. That's the problem. Then turn around and run to Him. That's all it takes. He'll get to you first. You won't beat Him in that foot race. He'll get to you first. But at least repent. Turn around. Never run from Him. Run to Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to play that same song, and our intention is to just let the Holy Spirit move. I just know, I know that there was someone who was wrestling with something. Come get some prayer about it. If you've been walking around Jericho for seven days, seven times, aren't you sick of it? Come up and get some prayer, but it's okay. It's not like you had, oh, but see, when I walk up there, what that means is, okay, so I step up out of my seat. I start walking up. It means I failed. That's why I'm here. I'm a failure. How about it means boldly approach the throne of grace when you are in need of mercy. That's what it means. That's what it means. And, and there's no one up here that is the throne of grace. There's no one up here that's the throne of grace. It's just God's the throne of grace, and this is what he tells us to do, so we follow his instructions because that's what he'll honor. If his word tells us, hey, pray for each other with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, pray for each other, let's do it.